the middle section of 1 Peter 4 and reflecting on verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And in that section, he spent some time talking about forgiveness, um, but there's more to say, and I want to spend some time maybe exploring a few implications from that. A number of people went up to Pastor Joe after that with some questions, and um, we're not going to satisfy all those questions tonight, but my hope is that provide some categories, some perspectives to help you continue to explore thoughtfully and wisely what the scriptures teach about forgiveness. Now, as I get into that, in your bulletin, there was a book there on the book nook called Making Sense of Forgiveness by Brad Humbrick. And I wanted to be able to bring it from the book nook to show you, but it's been sold. So that's great. I will get some more this week. So that's one book. This book by um, Brad is a little more practically oriented. If you want to explore something that's a little more theological, I'd recommend this book by Chris Browns called Unpacking Forgiveness. Um, Much longer and in-depth and, as I say, theological, but I think both those books are helpful. I'd like to start by reading Ephesians 4. So if you turn there, we're going to go to a few scriptures, so keep your Bibles handy and your fingers limber. I want to read... Ephesians 4 and verse 32. Ephesians 4 and 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So Paul here is clearly indicating that the Forgiveness that we're talking about on the human level is a reflection of what we experience with God. And not only is it a reflection of that kind of forgiveness, but it's also enabled. God's forgiveness of us enables us to forgive like he forgives. I think of the way John talks about the fact that if we have experienced love from God that reality is lived out in the way we love one another. Before we go on, let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, as we consider this topic of forgiveness, I ask that you would help us uh, to think well about this topic, help us to grow in wisdom, and help us to grow to live out this reality of love and forgiveness in our lives. How we need this work in our hearts, how we need the ministry of your spirit. Bless our time, I pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. So I think it's helpful as we begin to discuss this to reflect, review briefly um, the way God in Christ forgives us, thinking of what Paul says there in Ephesians 4. We're to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. So I just want to review some key elements as we think about our relationship with God and the nature of divine forgiveness. Firstly, it's good to remember, why is forgiveness necessary? Forgiveness is necessary because we are opposed to God. In our natural bent, we are in rebellion against God. We are set against God. We are his enemies. We are his enemies And we sin against him. We oppose his ways. Think of what we read in Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? That's why forgiveness is necessary. And that passage in Psalm 130 goes on to say, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Forgiveness is necessary because we are opposed to God. We are against God. And God is against us because of our sin against him. There is enmity. Um, Another passage, uh, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2 and verse 13 and 14. 
Colossians 2, verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let's just look at verse 14 there. There is a record, record of debt that stood against us. As it were, God is recording the sins against him. A record of debt, he is recording this. He doesn't forget any sin, not even the smallest sin. He knows them and he does not forgive, forget them. There is a record of debt with legal demands. Justice demands this. But this record of debt is cancelled. And it's not cancelled by God saying, oh, it doesn't matter. It's cancelled how? Look at the last phrase there in verse 14. Nailing it to the cross. When I read this, I think of a parallel passage in Ephesians 2. Let's just go over to Ephesians 2. Um, Paul is talking in similar ways, using slightly different words. And I love this. When, when, you, when you see Paul, um, it's not using the same words, so you might not see it as, as similar or parallel, but indeed it is. Ephesians 2, verse 16 for the sake of time, I'm just picking it up in the middle of the context here, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What picturesque language of what happened on the cross? There was hostility. There was a record of debt against us. God was, as it were, hostile against us because we were in a state of condemnation. And what happened? The hostility was killed, was wiped away. So forgiveness is necessary because of our sin against God. And as we think about the way the scriptures talk about forgiveness, we, we see there's, um, the horror of sin, but we also see the marvel of God's forgiveness towards us. So I think these are really, really key passages um, Key passages for us to reflect on as we think about God's forgiveness. But key passages to keep in mind because when it comes to us thinking about forgiving others, we need to go back here because we have a tendency to um, think of other people's sin against us um, with more vivid experience than we think about our sin against God. And if we're to put that in proportion if we're to rightly understand the nature of sin against us, that we might extend forgiveness. We need to be going back to these passages to be considering the, the weight and the extent of our sin against God, how terrible it is, um, our sin against God. So the first point, why is forgiveness necessary? Forgiveness is necessary because the hostility against God is great in our rebellion against him. And his hostility against us, we were his enemies, is great because of our sin. The second point I want us to consider is, does God forgive everyone? I want to go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 11. Mark chapter 4. The, uh, the 12 disciples asked about Jesus' teaching in parables, verse 11, and he says to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now there is a large theological discussion we could have here, and I don't intend to have it. I just want to state some points briefly. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. There, is a, there was a general love 
that God has for the world. He has a particular love for those he redeems. Not everyone equally experiences the love of God. God is ready to forgive. If any should repent, he will indeed forgive. But not all people experience forgiveness from God. Um, Which leads me to my next point, which is this, that forgiveness is an aspect of redemption and justification. So it doesn't say everything that could be said about the theological category of redemption or how we might explain justification. Um, but it, it talks about an important aspect of that. Let's go, over, go over back to Ephesians. I'm going to go to Ephesians in chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In him, that is, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. The forgiveness, as we think about what we read previously in Colossians, the forgiveness is the no longer, no longer does God hold the debt of our sin against us. So there's a a forgiving of the debt, which paves the way for the relationship between God and man to be renewed. Um, so, So forgiveness is an aspect of this larger theological reality of God redeeming us from this place of separation from him into a place of relationship. Um. In some places in Scripture, I think um, forgiveness is used as a shorthand. We have experienced forgiveness from God, and that's kind of talking about one aspect and saying we've experienced forgiveness of God and we are now in a new relationship with him. Um, So I think this is helpful as we think about forgiveness, talking about a certain aspect of what is happening in God bringing about our redemption. Maybe I could put under this point also that as, as we consider these various points, to also consider the fact that forgiveness is not free. Forgiveness is not free. Um, maybe I'm slightly overstating it by saying it this way, but I'm saying it produ- provocatively. God could not have merely said, oh, I won't hold your sins against you. Because God is a just God, and sin is real against him. And because he is a just God, there is a necessary consequence to sin. Because that's the nature of God, and that's the way he's created this world. So, so to, when I say forgiveness is not free, what, what I'm saying is, God could not simply say, you're forgiven, just because I want to forgive you. No, the reason God can declare a sinner forgiven is because the necessary consequence of the sin in God's justice has been satisfied. So forgiveness is never free. Um, Justice requires it. God's character requires this. And, And I think this is important as we think about just the gospel in general, as we think about what God has accomplished for our salvation, that we might have forgiveness of sin, that... At great cost, God sent Christ to die for us, a sacrificial death of great horror and pain and suffering. That is what Christ has accomplished for us. So we enjoy the benefits of, of, of forgiveness. Um, and I often think we, we cannot comprehend the significance of our sin, or the significance of the cost. I think that's one of the things of spiritual growth. Kind of deepen in your understanding of sin, and you, you deepen in your understanding of what the cost was to accomplish our redemption, to accomplish our forgiveness. So just a few summary statements that I wanted to touch on as we think about the forgiveness we experience from God in Christ. 
So what I want to do now is move and consider what some ways that we might think about forgiving one another. Again, thinking about what I read from Ephesians um, chapter 4, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so forgiving one another is to be like God's forgiving of us in some ways, but not in every way. Um, There are some similarities and some differences. Uh, One of the big differences is that while we experience some cost to forgiveness, Jesus is the one who has ultimately paid the cost that makes forgiveness possible. And, and we can't do that. We will experience some, some measure of suffering in the process of forgiveness, but it's not like we are atoning for people's sin. Only Christ has done that. So genuine forgiveness is accomplished Uh, or can be made possible because of Christ, Christ's work in us. Go back to Ephesians 4, 32 again. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. God has forgiven us in Christ, an act accomplished because of the nature and character of God. And the only way we can do anything to imitate the character of God is through his power at work in us by his spirit. The forgiveness that God talks about, the one another forgiveness, is something that is fundamentally supernatural. It's it's not something that comes naturally to us. It's something that is worked out. It's one of the fruits of the reality of our salvation. Um, Just as a full disclosure, so you're not disappointed, I'm not seeking to significantly develop any point tonight. Uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to exhaustively satisfy all of your questions. So, so here's my modest aim. My hope is to kind of prompt you to maybe think in some new ways, to, to add in some new categories as you consider the nature of forgiveness. That might prompt you to go back and read scripture with maybe some different questions, um, maybe to help you think more wisely about your experience or the situation that you find ourselves in. So... Um, My goal is that it would be helpful in growing in wisdom, but again, um, not comprehensive, which is why I recommended some books, right? So you can go away and invest in that way. Okay, as I think about forgiving one another, here's, here's my first point in this section. Firstly, forgiveness is undeserved, and so it's motivated by love. I wonder if you ever thought something like this. Um, I'm, I'm going to guess most of you have. I know I should forgive this person, but they don't deserve it. Have you ever said that? And I, I just want to pause a minute and say that's a very accurate statement. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve forgiveness from God. And when we sin against somebody else, there's a sense there that that sorry, when we sin against someone, do we, we don't deserve that forgiveness. At its very heart, forgiveness displays the grace of the gospel. We are doing something undeserving. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. Turn there, I'm going to read Ephesians 4.32 and then the next two verses. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. These two words that, that Paul uses before he talks about forgiveness. When we're sinned against, um, this is not our reflexive response. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant Offering and sacrifice to God. Why do we experience forgiveness from God? He wasn't obliged to do that. We didn't deserve it. But simply on account of God's love and his grace, we have received forgiveness from him. And and as I look at scripture, I think that's being played out in the human relationship. 
And so as we, as we think about this idea of not deserving forgiveness, there's a sense when, when people sin against us, it provokes a crisis, can I say, in, in, our, in our hearts and in our lives. It, it drives us back to the gospel. Because we rightly sense when someone sinned against us, they don't deserve our forgiveness. Now, we could stay there and go, I'm not going to forgive you. In fact, we might go a step further and say, I'm not going to forgive you, and I'm going to do my best to ensure you experience some level of punishment for how you've sinned against me. Now, does sin deserve punishment? Yeah. But it's not our place to execute that punishment. And so when we experience this crisis in relationship that requires forgiveness, it drives us back to the gospel. It drives us back to reflect on our union with Christ. And so Christ-like forgiveness, then, is not something we do out of begrudging obligation. I have to forgive you because God says Christians forgive, so I forgive you. I don't think that's genuine forgiveness. I think that's like painting a veneer and ignoring what's actually happening in our hearts. Christ-like forgiveness comes from a heart of genuine love and grace. And that is not natural. That is something that comes from the Spirit of God doing a work in our hearts. And that's something that requires um, engagement. I'm going to use the word spiritual battle to wrestle, to go, Lord, I don't feel like doing this. I don't want to give, I don't want to extend forgiveness in this situation what again is forgiveness? What have I received from you? And as we think about the gospel and our experience of the gospel, and we think about what it is then to imitate Christ in our relationships, we experience both, both the, the framework to understand forgiveness, but when we're looking to Christ by the Spirit, we experience the enabling to extend forgiveness with genuine Christ-like love. Um, I don't think this is simple. Um, I don't think it's like a one-off thought process. I think it's something that we grow to understand and deepen. Um, it takes time. It, it's, a, it, it's a growth in maybe understanding some aspects of those categories and then deepening in our understanding of how this really is lived out in our lives. Some might use the word wisdom here. To learn to forgive as God forgives is, is, a, is pushing us to, to grow in wisdom to understand the nature of God and the nature of relationships, the nature of the gospel, and how we're to respond in light of that. So it's, it's not easy to, um, to understand and express wisdom. It's a process. And so as we think about all the all the times in our lives, of varying degrees of relational problems that require forgiveness, one of the things God is doing is he's pressing us to understand something of our hearts more deeply, something of the word of God more deeply, something of his character more deeply, something of the reality of the gospel as well. So my first category that I, well, my first point here, forgiveness is undeserved and so motivated by love. The next thing I want to do is a series of subpoints, broadly addressing the assumptions about forgiveness. I think one of the reasons we struggle with forgiveness is we, we have some assumptions in our minds about how forgiveness should function, and that creates a sense of confusion. And so what I want to do is make a, a, a briefly develop a few points of what forgiveness does not mean. Because I think this is going to get up some of the assumptions we might wrongly make about forgiveness. Firstly, forgiveness does not mean we pretend we are not hurt. Forgiveness does not mean we pretend we are not hurt. Someone might come to us and say, I'm, I'm, please forgive me, uh, those were harsh words against you. And you might say, oh, no big deal. And um, maybe, sometimes this happens, maybe someone does sin against us. Uh, I know some people have said that to me. Would you forgive me for whatever edgy word or, or harsh response was in them? And they're like, I, you know, I didn't even take it that way. 
Now that you mention it and I'm thinking hard about it, I can see why I might have taken it away. But praise God, I didn't take it. Not a big deal. In that regard, it's not a big deal because I just wasn't hurt. I didn't sense a sin against me in any way. I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. Thank you. I appreciate that. But when, it, when it actually, when we do experience a hurt, if we say it's not a big deal, one of the things we're saying is forgiveness somehow um, ignores the hurt or the suffering of what happens when we're sinned against. Genuine forgiveness does not deny the reality of the hurt or the pain that is caused by the sin against you. And in fact, I'd say genuine forgiveness requires some grappling with the reality of the hurt or the pain that is caused. But then we have to do something rightly with it. So we, for, we forgive, and we forgive in light of the truth. One of the things that happens if we think forgiveness me, means we pretend we're not hurt is we end up living with a discordance. Um, let me see if I can have uh, a lack of coherence, a lack of integrity. So on, the, on one side where we might be, I forgive you, there's a relational interchange, and we say something like, it's not a big deal. But somewhere down in our hearts, we haven't yet really grappled with the hurt we've experienced. We, we haven't really processed that. And when we don't do that, it just sits in the corner of our heart. It might, we might be a little conscious about it. Sometimes we kind of move on. But if we don't actually, if we're not actually realistic about the nature of hurt, then it doesn't go away. It festers and it grows. Maybe there's another hurt. We just add it in and it begins to grow a weight. Or oh, that's kind of an inanimate. Maybe it's like a growing cancer in our hearts where, where, there's, where we're adding on hurt. And, and we're adding it on because we haven't, in a, like a, a very self-conscious, clear way, said, yeah, that really hurt these ways. That felt, those, the way you spoke or the way you acted was a rejection of me. Or when you lied in those ways to me, that was... That was such an unloving act towards me. And so we need to wrestle, I think, in clear ways about the nature of the hurt. So firstly, to forgive does not mean we pretend we're not hurt. Connected to that, to forgive does not mean we pretend the sin never occurred. So we might see, think something like this. To forgive means you just pretend it never happened. Um, Firstly, you know, good luck with that. Okay, that's slang, right? Um, it, it's, not, it's not human. Memories come up. And sometimes, or many times, we don't have control over when that memory comes up. You can be like going along, and somebody's sin hasn't bothered you. Maybe for a while, and you're in church, you look over, and the slip flies through your mind. That's kind of out of control. Genuine forgiveness is not pretending that the sin never occurred. Rather, forgiveness is the process of learning to live towards another with grace in light of the sin that occurred. And when we do it this way, what happens is, if we've truly grappled with the sin that has occurred, and we're not trying to pretend it didn't occur, when it comes up again, we are ready to engage in a new way I have been forgiven in Christ, and I have forgiven that person, and in my heart I extend grace and love to them. I have a heart of forgiveness still towards them. You're not pretending the sin never occurred. Another point, to forgive does not mean we equate being offended with sin. Um, when we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about issues of sin and justice, genuine sinful offense. And just because someone has offended us does not mean we have sinned against them. 
Uh, let me give you an example. I was, I was thinking of multiple examples we give. Let me give this one. Let's say someone has sinned against you. Uh, the, someone feels that you've sinned against them because um, in their friendship, they feel like you haven't invested in the friendship, you, you haven't loved them well. But their view of investing in a friendship might be an unbiblical view. They might have expectations of a friendship that are not fair or just. Now, we would want some resolution, some, some, some kind of clarity in what's happening in that relationship. But I don't think the word forgiveness is the right category there because there actually hasn't been injustice. And you might say, would you please forgive me? And internally you're thinking, I didn't sin against you. So different words need to be used. Now, there's a risk in saying this because we might go, yeah, I remember Pastor Rodney said, you're just offended, I don't have to forgive you. This is not an escape card, right? <laughs> but I think it is an important consideration in some relational instances. And I think it's important to clarify the distinctions in the, the way relationships function. Another point, to forgive does not mean there is no justice or consequence. Now, Going back to God, forgiveness is not free. In the context of our sin against God, there's no free forgiveness. God's justice is clearly satisfied in his son. We don't deserve that, and we rejoice in that. In human relationships, um, there might be cases where, where we are willing to pass over a situation and say, I forgive you. Um, there is nothing more required, forgiven, I'm happy to move on. But other times, in the context of repentance and genuine forgiveness, there can be place for restitution. And lavish and genuine forgiveness does not mean the zeroing out of restitution. Maybe you're careless with someone. You borrowed something from a friend. You're careless with it. You damaged it. Um, maybe it's an issue of gossip or slander. Let's, let's look, think about that one for a moment. Someone comes to you. They're repentant. And they say, I, I gossiped about you with some friends. And, and, and it's, it's been plaguing me. And, and it might have got around you already. Before it does... I want to seek your forgiveness for that. You might genuinely forgive that. But that might not mean there's no remedy to the situation. In cases like slander or gossip, maybe, the genuineness of repentance might be demonstrated in the willingness to go to those who are gossiped to. So you might say, I forgive you. I am so thankful that... You have come to me about that. And in the process of reconciliation, would you please go back to those people? And would you acknowledge that what you said was not true about me? Because this is affecting you and me, and it's affecting these relationships as well. So the genuineness of forgiveness is not saying that there is no place for restitution or no place um, for... Um, Correcting the wrongs. When we, when we have this, con this false concept of forgiveness, what ends up happening is we have fragmented reconciliation. It's kind of there, but there are, there are extra things that are entailed that aren't well satisfied and resolved. Another point, to forgive does not mean there is automatic reconciliation or trust. See, to forgive is the willingness, when someone comes to us with a repentant heart, forgiveness is the willingness to remove that barrier that's been there in the relationship, that's caused by the sin against you. Forgiveness is that willingness to be open to the genuineness of repentance and the desire for some level of reconciliation. Now, the way this plays out, I think, depends um, a great deal on the nature of the relationship and the nature of the sin. 
But as we look at Scripture, wisdom calls us to trust a person in proportion to their trustworthiness. So it's, Scripture would say it's foolish to trust a person more than they are trustworthy. I think of Proverbs twenty-five nineteen: Trusting in a treacherous man in the time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. So there is a willingness to forgive, a desire for a growth, a return to a level of trust and relationship was, that was there. But, but that just doesn't happen overnight. The nature of a relationship is there's trust and there's a proven worthiness to that trust. And the genuineness of repentance um, will, will reflect a level of humility that realizes sin may be forgiven, but the effects of sin are not erased. Um, think for an example here, um, David and Bathsheba. Nathan confronts David of this great sin. David repents. Think of Psalm 32 or Psalm 51. David repents and he experiences forgiveness. Um, But there are consequences that come out from that um, in, in how that plays out going on. So in, in the, as, as we think about forgiveness does not mean automatic reconciliation or trust, let me just give some differences here. Maybe there's a flash of anger or maybe there's a lifetime of anger. Maybe there's a lie or maybe there's a pattern of deception. And the differences of what is happening in one's life will be reflected on how you engage in restoring that relationship with an attitude of forgiveness. Another point, to forgive does not mean we're blind to manipulative repentance. Um, I thought um, Brad Hamburg has some good things to say here. For the sake of time, let me just give you one example. Maybe someone comes to you and says, as they acknowledge their sin, so there's some acknowledgement of sin, they might say something like this, "I've, I've never pretended to be someone I'm not. And um, Brad helpfully responds and says, you know, what's happening here? Well, the phrase is really communicating something like, you knew who I was when we started the relationship, so you were being unfair by expecting me to be, um, to be more decent. It's kind of a manipulative repentance. Now, are we required to forgive? Well, God calls us to forgive those who are repentant. But the nature of forgiveness is the desire to see um, the reconciliation of that relationship. And so forgiveness, genuine forgiveness, is not blind to manipulative repentance. Now, those forgiveness is not statements, or forgiveness does not mean... What I'm trying to do there is kind of cover various nuances of relating and situations that come up in our lives where if you have a very flat view of forgiveness, you end up being somewhat frustrated or you end up realizing, I know God calls for me to have forgiveness, but my conception of what that means in this particular situation seems slightly dysfunctional or not working properly. And what I want us to do is not to think God's view, God's teaching about forgiveness is dysfunctional. God's way is true and right. And what we need to do is better understand the nature of genuine forgiveness and how that plays out in our relationships. I want to think briefly for one, um, a few situations. I want to think of Joseph's example. Um, end of Genesis. I'm not going to go there. We don't have time. Um, I'm relying that most of you have some sense of the story of Joseph. So Joseph has experienced great evil from his brothers. They wanted to murder him. They had murderous intent. Um, Instead, he's just sold to slave traders. And then we get to the end of Genesis 50, and we hear the statement, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Can I say that's that's the conclusion to the story? But between there, when Joseph first meets his brothers, let me add some 
kind of creative imagination to the text, Joseph goes, hmm, wonder if these are still the scoundrels I knew. wonder if anything's changed. Um, and so Joseph goes through a series of tests. You might say he's being unforgiving there. No, we see in the life of Joseph, he was a man ready to forgive. He was a man, we might even say, anxious to reconcile. And, and you see at the end of the story when he finally reveals himself to his brothers, having known of genuine character change, he is just overcome with tears and joy. And so there was a readiness to forgive, but that readiness to forgive was in the context of where are their hearts? Are these, are these men who are interested in reconciliation? Um, now, they're hungry. They'd be willing to say anything, right? So he's, he's, um, he's responding in ways to, to figure out, to see, to get a true sense of where their heart is at. And he does that. He gets a true understanding of their character. Now, if we were in, in a similar situation for Joseph, I think there would be validity in following that. I don't think any of us are going to be in the same situation as Joseph, right? But, but here are some points I just want to draw out. Firstly, there is a willingness to forgive. Um, and we're to, we're to be those kind of people. Uh, 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 people who love God and her, who, who are ready to forgive. But we are to be a people who, who pursue that with wisdom and discernment. So I think that the, the key summary application as I think about the life of Joseph in this story is uh, the beauty of forgiveness the beauty of reconciliation, and the clarity there is when we pursue that with wisdom. One other example I want to think about, and this is the example of Jesus with the restoration of Peter. So on the night before Jesus was crucified, how profoundly did Peter sin against his Lord? Just denied him, kind of cursed, swore, lied sometimes, um, the time of greatest need, we might say, for support and encouragement, Peter completely failed. And I think as we get to the end of Gospel of John, what we see here is the culmination of the restoration. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, do you love me? Like, like do you really love me, Peter? Is, is, in contrast to denying me, do you love me, Peter? And Jesus entrusts him to the apostolic responsibilities to feed the sheep of Jesus. It would be a mistake, I think, to consider this as the first conversation that Jesus had with Peter about the denial. This is not explicit in the text. I'm implying something here. But what we do see here is, we might say, a full restoration of confidence. A full restoration of of allegiance, of honor, of trustworthiness. Um, so, So I don't think we should, as it were, squash scripture and just say, oh, there it is. It's all, all fixed. Think about if you're in Peter's spot. The first time you see Jesus, or the first conversation you have with Jesus about that night, you know, you're amazed he's resurrected from the dead. You think about all those wonderful promises, and then in the midst of the amazement is this sense of horror about what you've done. I wonder who initiated that. I'm assuming Jesus. Hey, Peter, you know, I love you. Can we, talk about, can we talk about that night? Can you imagine the shame? Just the regret? And what kind of conversation, I'm going to think conversations there were between Jesus and Peter as Jesus came to the place where Jesus could say, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, I love you. I love you, Jesus. A picture of of restoration. I think as we look at scripture and consider the nature of forgiveness, the, the nature of how do we grow to return to that kind of relationship, it takes time and um, 
but it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing when we experience rich and full forgiveness. Okay, I'm close. Okay, but I just want to touch on a few other things. I think sometimes we get confused as we wrestle through and grapple through the intricacies of forgiveness when we place forgiveness as an ultimate category. Um, if, we have the, if we have the necessary wisdom for rightly understanding forgiveness, we need to view forgiveness under the larger categories of sin and redemption. I want to go to Luke 17 for a moment because I like how uh, this frames or, or helps us in this discussion. It, it kind of upsets, I think, some of our maybe inclinations or assumptions. Luke 17. Luke 17, verse 1, he says to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, say, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, the one thing I want to to point out here in verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, I want you to see here that the rebuke is given in the context of a willingness to extend forgiveness. If you have forgiveness as this ultimate category, then you try to reason through situations, I think, in a slightly imbalanced way. If the, if the category of forgiveness sits under this idea of what is sin and what are the offenses, think of forgiveness sitting on the category of redemption as we think about Christ's redemption of us, then a willingness to forgive is not contrary to a willingness to rebuke. I think sometimes we have an assumption, um, if, if I'm a Christian and I'm to forgive, then should I even bring this up? And I think what we see here is um, to rebuke someone for sin against you can be in the context of the willingness to forgive. Because the willingness to forgive is an under, is is shaped by love for others and a desire for reconciliation and a clear-sightedness of the nature of sin. See, forgiveness doesn't minimize the reality of sin. It doesn't minimize the hurt that sin causes. It doesn't minimize the consequence of sin. It realizes that um, when we're sinned against, uh, there are huge implications to that. So I think it's important to rightly understand where forgiveness sits as we think about wisdom and theological categories. My second to last point, forgiveness is ongoing. Forgiveness is not a one-time act. It's a commitment not to return to that place of relational opposition. Um, I think this is so important. I just want to say one or two things here. That we ought not to be surprised if you do some hard spiritual work and you come to the place of genuine forgiveness and at some point in the future you remember that sin and in your heart you feel the pain of that sin against you. Like your heart rate picks up. Your stomach clenches. You, you feel the emotion of that hurt. And you might think, did I really forgive that person? Um, maybe you didn't. But maybe you did. The genuineness of that forgiveness that at some point in the past now is being borne out now. And as it were, you make the choice in humility and faith to continue to have this attitude of love and forgiveness. Lord, yeah, that was really difficult. And I'm thankful that they've repented. And we are in a new place in the relationship. And because I've experienced grace from you, I didn't have to live back at that point when I was sinned against. The final place I want to land is Romans 12. 
another place that is rich for exploration, but we're just going to be saying a few things. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, insofar as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I just want to conclude here with a warning that we see in this passage. When we experience situations where forgiveness is required, we are in spiritual danger. We are in danger of being overcome with evil. We are in danger of wanting to take justice into our own hands to exert the punishment that we think is due the sin that is against us. And we need to realize the spiritual danger that we are in. The call, do not be overcome with evil. And the final encouragement. There's a warning and encouragement. Um, Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. There's the encouragement. Because God is a just God, there will always, always, always be absolute, perfect justice. There will be some who will never taste of the grace of God because they refuse to submit to God and they will experience the perfect justice of God in judgment and torment. And there are others of us who, because of God's grace to us, experience grace, God's justice, meted out on Christ in our behalf, allows us to be reconciled to him. And what a wonderful thing it is, because each one of us has a sense of the need for justice. We are not to be the one to exert that ultimate justice. That is in God's hands. When we try to do it ourselves, we're in all kinds of trouble. But when we entrust situations to the wisdom and grace and the love and the justice of God, we can live now with a sense of peace and a sense um, of dependence upon God that he is working out his plan in ways we cannot understand. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we...